Hello, everybody out there. How are you doing? I hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn. Thank you very much for tuning into the Focus Compounding Podcast. Jeffrey Gannon, how are you doing over there? I'm doing very good, Andrew. Did you get over your sickness from a couple episodes ago? Yes, all over. It's done. You're good? Mm-hmm. All good. Now all good. Well, we want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to us today. Of course, as you know, if you are a regular listener, this is the Focus Compounding Podcast, the audio part of our business. We do have a writing part of our business or an idea part of our business, mm-hmm. and that's at focuscompounding.com. We're individuals, professional investors, and individual investors, they contribute and write about ideas on our website. So feel free to go to focuscompounding.com if you do want to sign up. Uh, if you like discounts, some people may not. I don't know. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not here to judge. Use podcasts, and they'll take $10 off your subscription price indefinitely as long as you do say a member. So somebody emailed in to us, and he said he'd like to say anonymous. So okay. we're going to call him Frank. Okay. And Frank says, recently, in episode 43, I think, you dropped the notion of bad net nets, and that got me thinking. What would you describe as a bad net net, and what are the characteristics of a good net net? And you've written very publicly about net nets. I think there's sure. actually a video on your blog I saw a long time ago there of you is. talking about net nets. Uh, there, there certainly was a video at one time. I wonder if it's still hosted. We'll <laughs> see. Yeah, um, people are going to your website. People are going right now. Get it on the um, And I thought it was. Um, this is obviously a good question to go over because a lot of people that do listen to us, they have probably mm-hmm. followed you for years, and obviously you've you've hit on net nets in the past. Sure. Um, so. Um, it's a good place to go over. So what do you think are characteristics of a good net net? Uh, so characteristics of a good First off, what is a net net? Oh, a net net. A net net is a stock where current assets uh, minus total liabilities is greater than the total market cap. And this sort of came about probably from like Gramites, I guess yeah, you could say. Yeah, Ben Graham came up with this concept. Yeah. So for people to understand that in terms of the theory of why it works is that basically in theory, this doesn't always work out in practice, you have a stock that's selling for more um, uh, dead than alive. Basically, you could liquidate the business and it would cover the amount that investors today could be paying for the entire company's stock, Mm -hmm. right? And what we're mostly talking about is cash, receivables, and inventory minus all the liabilities, and that's greater than what all the stock is selling for in the market. Yeah, and that's, I mean, a lot of the old, like, Walter Schloss and Mm -hmm. and Warren Buffett and all those old sort of super investors, I guess you could say, they all sort of followed probably in the early days this philosophy, right? And then what, you think a lot of people, it became sort of popularized and then it sort of got arbitraged away in the market? or Because you don't really come across a lot of net nets today. In normal times in the U.S., you don't come across a meaningful number of net nets at all. Yeah. So what do you think are, are... characteristics of let's start with the bad ones first because okay i, mean, I could think probably like high debt and, and certain things like that but so dangerous you, ones can be a problem but that's pretty easy to screen for so yeah. if you think about the formula that i just gave you it's basically cash plus receivables plus inventory minus total liabilities is greater than market cap but one way that you can do that is cash plus receivables plus inventory um divided by total liabilities mm-hmm. and i'll give you an idea of the leverage because i just did it as a plus 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 and minus this thing which actually means that if the stock had $11 in current assets, $9 in total liabilities, and the stock was trading for $1 a share, mm-hmm. you would think it was trading at a 50% discount sure. to its net current assets. And literally, that's true. But let's think about it. Yeah, The margin between 11 and 9 is it's, really tight. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. So that... Comp- that company could go broke. But there are other ones where the, net cur- where the current assets might be $10 a share. The total liabilities might be $1 a share. So you have $9 in net current assets, and then the stock is trading for $5. Okay. Well, that, in by the math, is very similar in terms of what it'll show up on a screen, but in reality, it's much safer. Mm-hmm. So what you just said is true. Um, it, you know, ones where there's a very tiny um, difference between current assets and total liabilities may not be attractive because there's so much leverage there. Sure. Now, if they succeed, 
you could get huge returns in them, obviously. Um, but that's, in a sense, very leveraged. You could think of it that way. Um, so uh, bad net-net means that the quality of the assets are poor, which generally means that they're specialized assets with a low return. So I said cash receivables inventory. Cash is a general asset. It's liquid. It's you cash. can take it out of the business. You can buy things with it. So cash is always good. It's a good net. You know, um, cash is always better than having some other asset sure. that's carried at the same amount mm-hmm. there. So that would be attractive. Um, the bad thing that NetNet's going to have is if they have inventory and receivables where there's something wrong with them. Um, in particular, inventory tends to be the problem here. Um, there can be other things like they have property, plan, and equipment, which we don't count, but can kind of become a liability because they keep investing in something that earns low returns. Mm-hmm. So generally, the same things that work with companies for the most part, which is that their assets are productive. So you want uh, NetNets where the assets are productive. Um, and, and how do you sort of measure that? Like, is a like a return on assets yeah. type calculation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I invested in a stock called George Risk. Uh, it probably earned I don't know thirty percent or so returns on capital, um, or, or or maybe those were after tax returns, but very high returns um, if you took out the cash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the cash wasn't really in the business, so you should take it out to judge the business. And so the business is something earning thirty percent returns. I found other things that might be earning five percent returns mm-hmm. uh, generally in them. Uh, so the actual business itself earning poor returns is a problem. Yeah. Um, the assets being less liquid and lower quality can be a problem. So inventory, uh, that isn't good. I think on a previous podcast, I mentioned a stock which was originally called uh, Duckwell Alco. Um, can you say that again? Duckwell Alco. <laughs> <laughs> say that three times fast. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and that, uh, that, that stock um, was rural, sort of, I don't know if we want to call them general stores. They were... The, the inventory was not very valuable because it was misplaced. Mm-hmm. So it's inventory which is in rural areas. Well, inventory isn't very valuable in rural areas. It won't turn fast. It, you can't sell it very quickly, right? So if we imagine the same things and they're in where, you know, I, I grew up in northern New Jersey or they're here in Dallas-Fort Worth area, right? If you have those that inventory, there's a lot of people you can sell it to, right? But now take it out and put it in the middle of someplace in Kansas uh, that's nowhere near any metropolitan area, and try to sell it. It'll take a long time to sell. But you see on the books, it appears the same way. Yeah, sure. It'll show up in Dallas-Fort Worth and in uh, some random place in, in rural Kansas as if it has the same value. Yeah, totally. But it really doesn't because that's not very liquid, that that um, inventory that you have. It could take a long time to turn. And you know, it, the only reason why you get decent margins at all is because there's no competition out there. Right, so that's can be unattractive that way. So no, that's uh, a bad net-net. I think it's a good way of doing it, yeah. Yeah. What so, about a good one, then? So good ones, um, yeah, good ones are the opposite of that. They have very little inventory. Very uh, receivables can be okay. Uh, do you always value receivables at one hundred percent of face value? To do the, the calculation to see if it's a net, and I value everything at one hundred percent. Yeah, the idea is that Graham valued it. I guess at like um, I was gonna say, I think in like security analysis when he talked about it, he he sort of haircut it a little bit, maybe. So like cash was maybe one hundred percent, maybe receivables yeah, cash was eighty five, exactly. and maybe maybe inventory was zero to fifty. Yeah, or just something to use like, that. It like rough, yeah, roughly like that. Yeah, and and that's a fair way to. Uh, assess it in liquidation probably yeah and i have seen companies with receivables that i don't think are very good um you could have related party receivables that are big um i've seen receivables in some cases uh that aren't good because the the customer um is is not a great um credit risk uh and and this by the way that we're talking about works under gap Mm -hmm. in the u.s it actually be different in um some other countries so because remember that they're reserving for things so they can take a provision for losses um, on receivables, 
Um, sure. They're carrying inventory at the lower cost or market, things like that. So generally, they're being a little more conservative. If you're mm-hmm. directly charging off bad debt and stuff, bad receivables, like you might in some other countries, then uh, the net net might uh, appear cheaper in another country than it really is because the U.S. way of accounting for it might be more conservative sure. when it comes to current assets. What's yeah. the last? Um, what is the last net net that you invested in? The last one I sold was George Risk. And how long ago was that? Uh, I don't know. A year and a half ago. Do you actually like the business characteristics, like of George Risk? Did oh yeah, you like it's an the excellent business. business. Yeah, yeah. Was that like a rare situation when you? I mean, especially mm-hmm. nowadays, finding a, a a great business trading. I don't know if you characterize it as great, but you said good business trading. You know, as a net net. Yeah, it didn't grow, but I mean, in terms of like a great business, in terms of just the economics of it, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, that's rare. I found a couple that are that way. They generally don't grow. That's why. Were the ones that you invested in when you did the Japanese? Mm-hmm. Uh, were those all net nets? All net nets. All not only just all net nets. All net cash. George Risk was also net cash. Uh, most of the net nets I've ever bought have been net cash. Really, they sell for less. Than Do you cash. think that's a good way to sort of go about it? Yeah. Because there could be situations where here's I, the thing: I don't almost say frauds, but just bad situations with net nets or what? Oh, that's possible. Yeah. Um. You know, I. I I don't know. I mean, I don't think that there, I could be wrong one day, there'll be a fraud in the thing that I <laughs> talked about. But I think generally it's not that hard to detect what might be a fraud and what might not be in this kind of thing, like net nets and things like that. Because um, if the company hasn't raised money in 20 some years, uh, if you can see uh, that it's you know family controlled thing, that it's paid out dividends, that it does whatever things that it does, um, you can often tell that it's probably a legitimate business sure. whereas if you can see like there have been some cases with chinese ones and stuff listed in the u.s um where they claim they have a lot of cash but they don't want to pay a dividend and then if they they like they'll borrow money at the same time they claim they have cash so it's like pretty like obvious that. yeah does it? yeah in each case there's always a possible explanation sure yeah they could be right there could be a reason to borrow a lot of money at the same time that you have a lot of cash and things like that but those are things that tip you off that it might be a net net uh, be a fr- fraudulent net net, but the ones that are good are the ones where they don't, they don't care about talking about it. They don't really care about driving up the stock price. Yeah. They never issue stock. You know, what's the point of having that as a fraud? What do they say? Listen to what people do, not what they say. Mm-hmm. That's true. And usually have a long record. You know, you can sure. take and stuff to see a long record there. So when you screen for net nets, what do you think is a good screen to use? Hmm. Uh. Well, I prefer finding ones with that trade for net cash. Okay. Uh, and then I prefer to have them have a very long history. Why do you prefer net cash? I'm mean, just, you think it's safer, probably. Yeah. So basically, I'd say all the net nets. I could be wrong about that, but I feel like all the net nets I've ever bought have been um, net cash stocks that were um, had positive net income at the time that I bought them. They weren't losing money. And in most cases, I like ones that had a long history of profitability, so no losses for many years in a row. I don't remember with George Risk exactly, but I would guess that at the time I bought it, in the last 20 years, they may have had one losing year. Wow. Which is not only good for net, it's actually good for your average business on the U.S. Uh, uh, stock exchanges. I Do mean, you still it, follow George Risk? Not really. Somebody actually emailed me within the past, I don't know, some three, four, five months that he was actually looking at George Risk sure. recently. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it, it could still be a, a good... Um, investment that way and yeah. i would wouldn't be surprised if it outperforms the market or whatever pays a decent dividend has cash you know yeah, yeah. what about what about um so so george was the last one that you invested in uh it's the last one i sold i don't know if it's the last one i bought have you had so. any bad situations in net nets mm, i don't think so and do you think that comes from you probably sticking to net cash and companies that are profitable because i think those are incredibly good screens to use for you know that might not situations. be true i might have had a pro, you know 
I think I'm wrong about that. I think I had a bad experience in a net net, but it was not an OTC net net. Oh, really? It was a very big net net. I think so. And that was going to be my next question, actually. Yes. About like big uh, companies being net nets. No, no, no. You, OTC is much better. Yeah. Why is much that? small. Yeah, not that it's much better. The, the, you probably because you get more gems or what? So they're more overlooked if yeah. they're OTC things. If they're a net net that's a big net net, um, they could come back in a huge way. Um, and eventually they can make an incredible amount of money, uh, uh, returns for stockholders because they're eventually going to be valued like a normal stock. And, and, and so on a major exchange, it could get very popular. And some things have been borderline net nets or actual net nets and then went on to um, be sold for a lot of money to someone or whatever. So big stocks. But in general, I'd say, yeah, you I prefer the small stocks because it's kind of the idea of people are overlooking the small stocks and they're bored with them and they're selling out just because it, like, you know, I owned George Risk for six and a half years. Something sold it. I didn't think it was expensive. I just was selling it thinking I was going to buy something else. Sure. I didn't think it was the best thing in the portfolio. But I certainly didn't think it was the riskiest or anything. Whereas the reason why people are dumping something on a major exchange that's dropped from being a $2 billion stock to a you know $500 million stock or something yeah. and it's now a net net, that's because they're like in fear. It's usually yeah. losing money. Um, they hate the industry. It might be very cyclical, all sorts of things like that. So those tend to be more like um, fear in those. Yeah. From your experience, have you found that there's more acquisitions in, in that pond? With net nets? Yes. No, because I find that net nets are often control companies and things like that. So it's less common that they're taken over than you might think. Wow. Yeah. Um, but what I would say is that they they tend to follow the same sort of pattern that you see with a lot of stocks over long periods of time, which is if you start with a list of 10 net nets. At the end of 10 years, a lot of people expect there's going to be these net nets that sort of did nothing for 10 years. And that's not what happened. You You have some that go broke. And then you'll have others that did really well. And the outcomes will be very binary that way, where you have these really positive outcomes for some of them and these really negative ones for others. And I think people are very afraid of like dead money net nets. Sure. And I just don't, in the records that I've seen, I just don't buy that as being that likely. Do you still think that's a pretty viable investment strategy is to buy a basket of them and hold them? You can't do it in the U.S. right now. Yeah. Um, so like buying a basket, no. And I don't know how important it is to buy a basket. People say that you should buy baskets of mm -hmm. net nets and because of the risk that would be involved yeah. and stuff. I haven't seen that they're necessarily that much riskier than other kinds of stocks that way. Sure. People are afraid that they are, but I think that if you mix net nets in with any other portfolio you have, I think that's fine. So if you have a portfolio of 20 stocks and the other 19 are non-net nets, but you find this one good net net, throw it in there. There's no need that it has to be some sort of basket, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, you can't do it in the U.S. right now. If there comes a time where you will have an opportunity to buy a lot of them, then, you know... Uh, sure, a basket then would make sense. We find some. I, I wrote about. Um, I guess I wrote about one for the focus compounding, um, which is net cash, and you know, um, it's an attractive stock, but you can't find five of them. So if you want to yeah. do a basket net, and it's no, you can't Doesn't do that. Sense to do it, but yeah. anytime you find one, I just say, um, put it away, yeah. buy it, and, and put it away for a while and see what happens. I, anytime you find a net net that you think is decent, a good net net. How long do you hold George Risk for? Six and a half years. Wow. Yeah. And like I said, I, it did not outperform the market. did not. Um, market did well. I forget. It may have been about 9% a year in capital appreciation plus a dividend. Maybe it hit a special dividend, but mostly the yield was in the 3 or four, three to 5% range, something like that. So I don't know if I uh, what the exact return on it was, but say you earned 12 13% a year or something, but the market did too for those six yeah. and a half years. The market did great. But I wouldn't be worried about something that – you think it's a boring stock, you bought it, you, nothing happened with it for six and a half years, and it returned more than 10% a year. Mm -hmm. Because there could be a market that's not very good, and it could also have returned 10% a year or something. It's very likely if there was a bear market that George Risk would have outperformed other stocks. You're just comparing it to something that had really good returns. Yeah. 
no, I think that's a, a good way of thinking about it. Any other thoughts on the topic? No, I think that, you know, good net nets are a lot like uh, other kinds of good companies. Sure. Uh, that you shouldn't be biased not towards something because it's a net, a net net or whatever. Like Usually good, good net nets are financially solid, long history of profitability. Uh, they have high returns on capital. Um, and they don't tie up a lot of money in bad assets. That's the key thing. The difference between a good net and a bad net net is usually that bad net net has tied up most of its assets in something that's genuinely just not Terrible. a good business. Yeah. It's distributing something that turns very slowly, and so all its inventory is in something that, that turns slowly or something. You know, you just try to do the math on saying, what do I think the return on their inventory is? You know, <laughs> And if it's really bad, and that's what most of their assets are, then that's a bad net net. If most of the assets are cash, it's less important how good sure. or bad the business is, obviously, right? But just generally, it's kind of better, I think, not to think what's a good net net, but think what's a bad net net and then invert it. So a bad net net is like any bad business. It's putting money into low returning things. Sure. You could have that if it was a railroad and they were getting low returns because they put a lot of things into physical um, assets. Same thing. Just avoid things that have most of their money tied up in low returning assets. I think that's a good place to stop. Okay. And I think that was a pretty good explanation of it. We want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to us today on the Focus Compounding Podcast. Have you ever written about net nuts in a memo yet? I don't think I have written about net nuts in a memo. Well, maybe Jeff will write about net nuts in a memo if you want to get access <laughs> to that for yeah. a future memo. Go to focuscompounding.com and on the homepage, you'll see a spot to enter in your email and you will get a, a memo from Jeff on a investment principle every Sunday, 500 words yep. minimum, usually more than that, right? It's one page. One you'll page. get one page you'll get a one page pdf is that what they get yeah uh-huh. okay one page pdf is what you'll get in your email inbox sunday you got it everyone thank you very much for tuning in have a great day take care